0: Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Team Blaney Podcast. My name is Adam Rogers, and alongside me is co-host Steve Mez. The Team Blaney Podcast is brought to you by fans for fans. Steve and I have been diehard followers of the Blaney Racing family for two decades. Today, we closely follow third-generation driver Ryan Blaney, who pilots the number 12 Ford Mustang for Team Penske on the NASCAR Cup Series circuit. Each week on the podcast, we will review Ryan's latest NASCAR race and then preview the race for the upcoming weekend, offering news, notes, statistics, and analysis. Steve, we are fresh off an exciting Memorial Day weekend that saw race fans enjoy the Indianapolis 500, turn around and watch the Coca-Cola 600 a little bit later in the day that featured the stars of NASCAR and our very own Ryan Blaney. Ryan himself had a little bit of an up and down race, but overall, what did you think of the racing that we saw this past weekend?
1: Well, what did I, you know, really, I, I, I enjoyed it. There was a lot to do, you know, going from Indy to, to Charlotte and uh, taking a nap in between, which is, you know, and uh, trying to stay hydrated with some body armor. <laughs> <laughs> with the new uh, colors on the car, the, the car looks sharp under the lights. What's great about the 600 miles is that uh, there's there's so many things that happen. Um, they go from daylight, they go to nighttime, and all the changes that happen to the car and to to the strategies, and um, you know, so it was a great night of racing, great night to watch, and uh, see all the different things that could happen and did happen uh, for the number 12 team.
0: It was definitely a i mean watching this race is kind of cool each year and one thing that i heard several of the broadcasters and drivers kind of stress over and over and over again is that they almost treat this race as four separate 100 mile races uh with the four stage breaks and this is the longest race of the season and it's also the only race of the season where you have the opportunity to score points in four stages um unfortunately Ryan was playing catch-up throughout the race, so it wasn't that big of a points day. But what was great this weekend was the weather was pretty good. For fans that were in attendance, it was a little bit chilly. People were saying that maybe the weather and the chill in the air maybe impacted how that PJ1 traction compound worked on the track throughout the weekend. But yeah, there's definitely plenty of racing to watch all the way throughout the weekend from the truck race to the Arco race to the Xfinity race to the Cup race and the Indianapolis 500 that took place. On Sunday, without further ado, I think we should take a look at a recap of Ryan Blaney's Coca-Cola 600 effort. Ryan Blaney race recap, Charlotte Motor Speedway.
1: Uh, well, you know, it's the weekend that we had. Uh, we had qualifying and practice, so we I went back to uh, Friday's practice, and uh, you know, these practices are interesting because they start off with uh, you know a large gap between the leader and the guys second, third, fourth, and then by the time they go out and run that that last lap. And they closed the, those times closed up to within a tenth or two of each other. And uh, Ryan ran 33 laps during practice. So they went out and they did a bunch of runs, uh, none of them over 10 laps, though, because I was looking for that 10-lap average. And we never did see a 10-lap average. They, they would go out eight or nine laps and bring it back in. And about four-tenths back, four back of Dylan, who, who won practice. Um, and what's interesting about this is this was a qualifying impound race. So they do the qualifying and the cars are impounded. So once they pass tech before qualifying, that's it. No more changes to the car. So some of these cars were trimmed out strictly for qualifying, and some of them were probably trimmed out uh, based on the start of the race and how they wanted that car to operate uh, at uh, at
0: 6:30. That's kind of what people. When I mean, you'll talk about qualifying, but obviously the Hendrick Motorsports team for the last few weeks has been stout. And then it was no different in qualifying for the Coke 600 with several of their drivers starting up front. And people were talking about immediately that, oh, they must have just been trimmed out for this race. And that's all it was. As we go further along here, you're probably going to find out that they were doing okay either way. <laughs> trimmed out or not trimmed out, they were still the class of the field.
1: Yeah. There, you know, there's a couple guys when you see the qualifying lineup, you know, the Hendrick cars may or may not have been trimmed out for just for qualifying but guy like ricky stenhouse jumps up there and you know darn well that that car has been trimmed out for qualifying and he's gonna hold on to it as best he can to being in the race and hopefully maintain position Um, ryan was the last to go out for qualifying so if you watched it on tv watch that session saturday uh you had to wait 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 he went went out last ended up 11th which really isn't a bad bad qualifying run and it was 0.137 back of the leader so once again look how the times all tightened up you know between practice and qualifying so a tenth a little more than a tenth back and, and 11th is not a bad starting position for 600 miles and uh you know, they, they got a nice pit selection of it also. Um, they ended up in the second pit stall, so they were pitting behind uh, the leader uh, most of the night. Of course, Ryan was on the driver's only broadcast, too, for the Xfinity race on Saturday afternoon. And it was interesting, you know, once again, if you get a chance to listen to those and watch those, even if it's not Ryan, listen to what the drivers say while they're doing the broadcast up there. There are things they're paying attention to that are next level. And there are things that they end up using in the race the next night. They talked a lot about PJ one compound during that Xfinity broadcast and how it was being worked in and who he was able to run it and who wasn't. So,
0: And Ryan has talked about in the past about just that amount of information that he gains from doing those broadcasts by seeing things from a different level or from a different perspective and one thing you kind of noted to me about this weekend just overall about him being involved in this broadcast is that ryan was in the booth in the past when they've done when they've done some of these drivers only deals he's been a pit reporter or something else a little bit more ancillary but it seems like I mean, one, he's been in the booth for several races this year. I think even an ARCA race and a handful of other things. He did a truck and Xfinity double, double header one week uh, in the booth. So he's gaining more and more experience there. And it seems like he's kind of moved up the ladder a little bit to now when, when they do the driver's only deal. Uh, he's one of the, the main three that's up there in the broadcast booth. And that was pretty cool to see.
1: They uh, start, um, start the race in uh, 11th position, and it's four stages, laps 100, 200, 300, 400. They talk about basically before about staying hydrated and the sun being out, and uh, Todd wants Josh to give him a read on where the sun is on the track as they go along uh, in turns three and four, because that uh, it's going to change the grip level down those turns. For, so the restart, or the start, actually not the restart, but the start of the race itself, uh, basically gains a spot or two on the start, but by lap three settles into 11th. And uh, he, <laughs> I don't know who he's talking about, but lap 12. 12- He says something about somebody not realizing it's a 600-mile race. Somebody's racing real,
0: real hard. (laughs) I'm pretty sure it was Kyle Busch because Ryan was attempting to – I forget who he was attempting to pass, but Ryan was doing – and this happened to drivers throughout the week. Ryan's attempting to pass another guy, didn't quite make it, so it slows him up a little bit. And then it looked like Ryan tried to make a move again, but Kyle Busch ended up darting between the three of them. And uh, they did show a replay of this on TV, and I think that's the exact moment you're talking about because it happened really, really early in the race. But again, if people watch the race and then look at the results there, Kyle Busch was on it and aggressive from the beginning of that thing and outside of the the couple of Hendrick drivers that ended up finishing ahead of them. He was probably one of the other best cars in the field, and probably part of that was because of his aggression.
1: Yeah, lap um, lap 21 actually, Kyle Busch passed uh, Ryan, put Ryan in 12th. That's what it was. It was like you know, they were slid, and then and, and Ky, uh, Kyle took advantage of it, basically. At lap 24, Ryan passes the 42, so he's back up to 11th, and uh, they're starting to talk about things for the pit stop. Uh, he says it's lacking rear grip. Josh says that the leaders are starting to use the PJ1 at both ends by about lap 26. So lap 36, uh, Todd's mentioning the 48 is where about a loose rear so he's he's talking about the rear end of the car being loose in the turns and um what's happening there is it just kind of that's cars up ahead of ryan and it's just trying to give him an idea of something might happen in front of him to kind of be ready for it at lap 42 ryan says he needs to free it up a little bit on exit and the grad green flag pitting starts Uh, at lap 46 ryan does come in for four tires and fuel Uh, He's 11th to start that cycle, about 16 seconds back. But at lap 51, he does call in a report. He has a loose left rear wheel. Now, this is the whole thing about uh, lug nuts and them not being secure. All the teams do this. You don't realize it, but on all the pit stops all night long, they do not put all the lug nuts on all the way. The last pit stop of the night, the last one that they know they're going to do before they get checked on pit road at the end of the race that one they make sure that they have all their lug nuts on but as the race goes on they do not need all the lug nuts and they don't hit all the lug nuts i think that's why you don't see the cameras on the guy's helmets anymore like they used to do for for the night races and stuff like that where they'd show you the pit crew member zipping along there Uh, i don't think they have them on there on purpose because they don't want you to see that they don't
0: hit all the lug nuts Yeah, it's definitely become a big part of the team's strategy. And then sometimes even if they just want to push the limits even further just to try and win a race, they'll leave one loose in that last stop and pay the fine uh, when it comes to the next week. But it can bite you every once in a while, and that's ended up what happened here. And we've been talking the last few weeks because this team's faced some adversity Uh, Going on and on and I don't want to think this is hopefully this isn't a theme But you know that kind of crept into my mind kind of right away. It's like all right right out of the gate Here's a setback Um, The good news was here and you'll probably talk about this too. first pit stop of the day and it's a 600 mile race So it's not like something they uh, Couldn't dig out of and at that point. I'm hoping okay. Maybe you know the Xfinity race had a ton of cautions Maybe we'll see something similar in the end. We did not Uh, see something similar as far as cautions go but it was a hole that this 12 team kind of had to dig themselves out of right out of the gate
1: yeah they end up losing a lap here and um, having to come back in and pit again because he reports the the loose wheel Um, they end up 30th a lap down by lap 66 he's 29th and he's the last car lap down uh, just in front of the five now there's you know 34 more laps to the end of the stage and he maintains this and if you watch his lap times compared to the leader he actually runs some lap times that are faster than the leader at this point um, you know and some of it you don't know if it's through traffic and so forth but he maintains and keeps the leader from gaining on him and getting down two laps you know before the end of the stage um, as a matter of fact uh, Todd calls into him at one point and tells him good job on on coming in for uh, for the loose wheel because the uh you know they recognized that it was an issue and he you know did it before something you know catastrophic happened at the end of the stage uh you know larson wins the stage and ryan's 28th and he was he stayed only one lap down he you know he kept to maintain that now mind you they cannot do any kind of like wave around at this point because everybody's on the same uh cycle of tires and uh they would just get crushed if they if they try to do a wave around He asks uh, for them to tighten him up a little bit more. And they tell him there'll be 10 guys a lap down. So uh, he's going to be 28th. And all the way, he's got to find his way all the way up to 19th at this point to try to get to a lucky dog spot. They're pitting 28th. They come out 26th. So they gain two spots on pit road right away to be racing against the 14, the 20, the uh, 21, the 34 to 41. The choose cone, they take the low. Uh, this was a better, better restart lane during the race. Once again, I had Fox gotten away from showing this. I hear the drivers talking about it on the radios that it's gonna be better to be in this lane or that lane. So I don't, I don't quite understand why they don't pay good attention to that. But maybe NBC will pick it up once their turn. Lap uh, 109. He he ends up back to 28th lap. 112 25th lap 115 24th at lap 117 22nd at lap 119 21st so now all of a sudden he's up and he is the lucky dog at this point in 21st that lap 132 the nine is now taking the lead the hendrick cars as we see during this day goes on just kind of larson leads most of them but uh the other guys get their chance to run a couple laps here and there up there Ryan at lap 132 is 20th, right? At that point, he's still in the lucky dog also. So lap 139, he's 19th. He gains a spot because the one car actually pulls off at this point for his issues. At lap 146, they start some green flag pitting and they try to run Ryan long at this point, hoping the caution comes. He gains a lap back that way. But lap 153, about seven laps later, they go ahead and pit. Five takes the lead on this green flag pit stop cycle. He ends up back in the lead at 157. And uh, lap 160, the 38 is now a lap down and something happens during green flag cycle like that is guys lose a little bit of time. And then, you know, the guy or two that might've been a tail end of the lead lap all of a sudden gets lapped. And now Ryan has to chase down that guy to get to, to be the lucky dog again. Um, But at lap 171, there's an actual caution, and uh, they talk about the wave around. Now, at this point, there's 29 laps, and when they restart, it's actually going to be like 23 laps in the stage. So basically, if they do a wave around, they just have to survive that uh, 20-some laps, stay on that lead lap.
0: And at that, no, that point of the race, we were talking to each other. And that's what I immediately thought was that previous set of yellows, you know, that he pitted after the leaders and then was able to kind of stave off Larson for about the same amount of time. So I, I think wave around is a good risk at this point. And the car seems to be pretty racy and seemed like the right call to me. And that's obviously the call that they went with. Lap 177 is the
1: restart, so 23 to go, and he's in 21st position. Lap 25, he's still 21st. He's about 10 seconds back, so the next 15 laps or so, he just has to survive. Larson takes the lead at lap 190, and he wins that stage, and Ryan ends up 21st, but he's back on the lead lap, so at the end of stage two, 21st position, but he's got the lap back, so now he can pit with everybody else and, uh, and not lose ground to the field. He pits 21st, comes out 16th. So, right away, five spots on pit road. Uh, choose going low again and uh, restarts in 16th, lap 209, he's 20th. The restarts were really, really kind of crazy. They kind of, you know, if you didn't get good momentum and you got behind the wrong guy and somebody was more aggressive and in the right line, he would lose a couple positions. But then as everything shook out and single filed its way, once again, lap 211, 18th, lap 212, 17th, lap 213, uh, 15th, 14th, you know, so he's, he's right back up in the, in the top 15. And at lap 218, he's reporting uh, is not a lot of front feel, That's what he tells uh, Todd. At lap 221, he's 14th and uh, hangs on to that for the next 15, 20 laps. Harvick pits with the loose wheel. So he, Ryan gains a spot on that, gets to 13th. Green flag cycle starts happening at lap 245. He's pitting, he goes in 13th, he comes out uh, 15th. Ryan complains of being bouncing loose <laughs> at lap 257, which if you watch the broadcast, there's a lot of bumps down on one and two.
0: Yeah, that doesn't sound like a fun thing to experience on one of these tracks. And they've talked about the Charlotte Motor Speedway being one of the more rough tracks. Lots of bumps, age surface, and... With the PJ1 and everything going on, and the different temperatures, and the the sun, I don't know if the, at this point in the race if the sun was down yet, or at least it was on its way down, the track's going to keep changing all night. And that was one of the things they were talking about early on, is what's the transition going to be like. In years past, if you were loose early on in the day, that was a good indication that a little bit later on, as the sun went down, the cars would tighten up. But drivers were kind of talking about with the traction compound and the way the tires are now and the different horsepower and downforce packages, maybe some of that didn't matter. So you did see guys like Larson and the other Hendrick cars were fast at the beginning, stayed fast the whole way through the transition.
1: Fox shows the tire, The pit stops were the four tire stops on that uh, run. And the 12 team was the fifth fastest stop of everybody during that uh, cycle. So uh, lap 263 is in 15th and uh, he 's talking about being needing to be tightened up at this point for the next pit stop the forty seven actually passes him at this point, so he 's sixteen and uh, there 's only eighteen cars on the lead lap right now at the end of this stage coming up. The nineteen ends up Truex ends up passing him, so but right at the end of the stage there's a caution for the six and uh, Ryan ends up uh, 16th at the end of the stage and Larson wins uh, stage two and I think he's the last car in the lead lap at that point so they're going to be 17 cars to start the next stage uh, on the lead lap. Pitting 16th he comes out 15th uh, but they get speeding for section six and are told to go tail end um, there's a little bit of discussion on there about like uh, Adam said before you really can't argue with the law on this they've got it all figured out and they're giving you a buffer zone to begin with. So it
0: was unfortunate to see. It's funny sometimes and Ryan didn't necessarily do this, but how's funny sometimes these drivers like swear they weren't speeding. It's impossible. My gauges, you know, didn't say and I think it's funny when you do watch the in-car video sometimes when these guys are coming down pit road, they have various different colors that can flash on the digital dashes that they have now that let them know where they're at speed-wise. Sometimes it's green is fine and then like if it's red and flashing for some drivers that means that for some reason they said, "Oh, that means it's still okay." It's when it's red and solid or something means that you're you've gone over at that point so but steve just mentioned there is a buffer zone they have about a five that you know if they said i don't know what the speed limit was but if they said pit road speed limit was 55 miles per hour you could actually go 60 and still not be penalized so you're taking it up even another notch from there and it's unfortunate it's part of the game they're trying to get all that they can especially when they're playing catch up here and possibly because he didn't have the best stage finish at this point he lost a few spots along the way so he's probably trying to you know trying to get the most that he could out of this pit stop sequence and it kind of ended up biting them in the end
1: yeah now the the restarts at lap 306 and the thing about tail end is there's only 17 cars on the lead lap so he's 17th and there's only 16 in front of him and everybody else is in between Unless somebody rolls over for you before the restart, um, you're all the way back there, and you've got to pass those cars first before you can pass somebody for position. So it takes a couple laps for that to happen, but by about three or four laps in, he does pass the 23 and the 43, and he's up to 15th, but uh, two seconds back at the 19. Because the lappers are in the way. So I think a couple of those cars were actually back there with him based on penalties at this point. Lap 311, the 22 is talking about having a loose wheel. By lap 317, like I said, it took him about 10, 11 laps. Now he's with with most of the guys on the lead lap. He's passed most of the guys a lap down. Ryan tells him he's not bad here. car's doing pretty well. Uh, the 22 does pit for the loose wheel. Ryan gains a spawn on that, uh, position 14. And at lap 340, the uh, pit cycle begins. He's 14th going into the pit cycle. He pits at lap 350. So they, they played him a little long on that also. And uh, he cycles to uh, 13th at this point coming out of the pit cycle at lap 353. Uh, lap 356, he runs what's his fastest lap of the night. So here we are. We're, you know, two-thirds of the way through the race. And he runs a uh, 30.035 30. second lap. I saw a couple that were under 29, but those were a couple of the leaders, a couple of the Hendrick cars, basically. But uh, that's pretty good to be that late into the race and uh, and run a lap like that at uh, lap 317. Uh, he's 13th, but he can't seem to get by the 47 there. Uh, the stage finishes with Larson winning the stage and Ryan in 13th. Um, at this point, there's only 14 cars on the on the lead lap. You know that's it. You know the night's over. Todd basically says that uh, he's got to figure out what they fought all weekend long. The Hendricks basically stunk up the show <laughs> uh, for the five cars are the top four of the five for the night uh pushing i think was the guy in the middle there but overall really okay once you've got yourself in the hole like i said when i watch this watch these races uh it's great to watch them battle out of the hole you know they're not just sitting around waiting for something to happen or hoping that they you know get the caution at the right time or whatever they try to make their own breaks and uh all night long he he, you know he struggled to get up there but you know at one point uh, they, they stayed out longer in that green flag pit cycle and actually led two laps, which uh, TV actually showed them leading, out, you know, leading a lap or two. It's interesting because the TV coverage way different than, than his dad when his dad was racing. Something happens to Ryan. It may take a minute or two, but TV definitely shows you what happened to Ryan.
0: It's kind of a weird thing that happened this weekend is the fact that they got that loose wheel and the speeding penalty almost made the race a little bit more interesting for Blaney fans to watch because... They had a decent car, but they did not have a car that was going to be able to probably go up there and compete for a win without maybe some strategy. There was only, what, four caution flags in this race i think and three of those were for stage breaks yeah not a lot of excitement when it came to that there wasn't really any sometimes this race comes down to a fuel mileage strategy there was none of that everything just kind of was pretty cookie cutter i mean i still enjoyed the race it's a crown jewel lots of pomp and circumstance lots uh i mean really cool things with all the drivers honoring uh, a fallen service member on their cars and they kind of highlighted that throughout the weekend and throughout the race so there's plenty of things to enjoy but it was just weird that just this fact that we kind of got to watch them dig themselves out of this hole kept kept things interesting cuz so you kept saying okay how many how many cars ahead of them does he is he still in the free pass position if you know if a caution came out right now it would be perfect timing what can they do so it kept things interesting throughout this entire race for us unfortunately because of that, it's probably one of his worst point days in a while he did not gain in on the the race when you could potentially gain the most stage points of the year came out with zero stage points for the day. So that was unfortunate. Um, he's still in the seventh position in the NASCAR Cup Series standings. He's kind of held in that spot for the last couple of weeks. He's 151 points out of first place, who continues to be Denny Hamlin. Uh, the man on the move right now is definitely Kyle Larson, who now owns nine stage victories. He swept the stages and obviously the race in this Coca-Cola 600. So he has now has nine stage wins. Um, and also more than, a, which I don't know, this is kind of insane to me, uh, for Larson with more than a thousand laps led this year to go along with his two victories. So obviously if Ryan has somebody that he wants to aim for, um, as a goal, it's definitely that, that five team, cause they've kind of emerged as probably the championship favorite at this point. Interesting to see, you mentioned really early on is that three of the Stuart Haas racing Fords were all lapped down, I think, after the first stage or with the first couple stages. Then Harvick himself had some issues after that. Ford overall did not perform well in the Coca Cola 600, what I think Chris Busher ended up finishing the highest of everybody. And then Ryan, you know, came in at um, what, 13th after that. So um, Ford just kind of struggled this weekend. As a as a whole, as a manufacturer, um, Chevrolet has found something this year. Not only are the Hendrick Motorsports cars performing well week in week out, the Richard Childress Racing organization has had a bit of a reemergence. They were showing some signs last year of some sparks there between uh, their two drivers in Austin Dillon and Tyler Reddick that they had the ability to run in the top 10. And now I think they've had several weeks where both of them have been competing and running in the top 10. So it seems like we've we've kind of flipped the script a little bit. There was that year after Ford introduced that new Mustang body that they kind of had a little bit of a leg up. Uh, even last year overall, it se- things seemed a little bit balanced with Chase Elliott really not coming on until the playoffs. And it seems like maybe then something happened in the, in the playoffs that where Hendrick has found some sort of an arrow advantage, um, maybe something that, you know, uh, different, but this happened last year with Stuart Haas Racing, at least with that number four team and Kevin Harvick, who, you know, rattled off nine victories last year. They figured out that they had kind of found a loophole in the rules that had to do with the wheel wells of the cars. They've closed that loophole since then, and you can see what that's done to that team. So, it seems to me that Hendrick Motorsports has found something. They found some sort of an advantage. The good news is, is that this sport is very, very cyclical, and things will come around and things will evolve as we move through the summer months. Uh, some of those guys back at the team Penske shop are all probably week in, week out, putting their heads together, trying to find, you know, that advantage. And it's crazy in this sport how just something so minute, so small, you know, even just picking up a tenth a lap or something makes the difference between first and twentieth. So, 13th place finish, yeah. Um, took some flack on Twitter for maybe defending that a little bit this week. That, you know, Penske is still one of the elite organizations, and I believe that. And I know they're just a, on a really slight, bumpy stretch right here. But I, I'm sure over the summer and as we head into the playoffs, they're going to be back into championship contending form. And still believe this 12-team, again... Unfortunately, we've had to say it the last four weeks that they faced adversity and come through and and got themselves at least decent or solid finishes. In this case, they faced two bouts of adversity and still finished in the top 15. And toward the end of the race, I think could have been knocking on the top 10 if circumstances had fallen their way a little bit more. So still proud of their efforts and still think we need to continue on with that classic patented Steve Mez power of positivity as we look to the future.
1: Yeah. You know, this, uh, the season's a long season. And, uh, if, if uh, anything can be pointed to, it was last year, you know, look at Harvick, look at Hamlin last year. And when it came to the last weekend of the season, were they out out there for the championship, you know, and it, it you know, so really truthfully, you don't want to peak. Now the guys have win three or four races right now. That's great. You know, Larson looks unbeatable right now, but come September or October, Let's see what happens then. Let's see what happens when the pressure gets amped up a little bit and, uh, you know, look at what Ryan did last year after the penalty that they that they acquired last year, okay? They, they didn't make the next round, but then look what they did after that. You know, they were top five, top five, top five, a bunch of times down the stretch and would have been a team that probably would have had a chance to contend for the championship. So don't be, you know, reading too much into what's happening right now. They are still trying to figure out a couple things, get it together. But come September, that's when you want to be ready. So work out these problems. You know, Todd actually mentioned after the race that uh, they've got to figure out what they were fighting all weekend. So obviously there was something that the, that the Penske cars as a whole they were looking at that they were having an issue with. And, uh, it, you know, it makes the, the win in Atlanta even more impressive the way that Hendrick is driving on the mile and a half right now. And Ryan beat them. A couple weeks back or you know a month or two ago so you know there's still opportunities every weekend something different can happen and and that's why we tune in and that's why we love watching
0: well steve i think that wraps up our recap of ryan's run in the coca-cola 600 again kyle larson came out victorious capturing one of his first ground jewel races of the year ryan blaney fought some adversity came back to finish 13th and i think we'll move on now to our weekly nascar history lesson This week in NASCAR history. Kicking off this week in NASCAR history, June 2nd, 1963. Fred Lorenzen takes the lead with four laps to go and wins the World 600 at Charlotte Motor Speedway. Junior Johnson's bid for victory is foiled when he blows a tire while holding a narrow lead over Lorenzen. June 4th, 1966, independent driver Elmo Langley steers his Ford to victory in the 100-mile NASCAR Grand National Race at Spartanburg, South Carolina. Langley leads the final 40 laps to score his first NASCAR win. Fords lead all 200 laps on the one-half-mile dirt track. Moving on, we jump to June 5th, 1983. Ricky Rudd drives his Richard Childress-owned Chevrolet to victory in the 400-kilometer race at Riverside International Raceway. It is the first NASCAR Winston Cup Grand National Triumph for the Rudd-Childress duo. And then finally, June 6, 1998. Terry Labonte bumps his way past Dale Jarrett with three laps remaining and notches his first win of the season in the Pontiac 400 at Richmond International Raceway. Jeff Gordon's victory bid is derailed when Rusty Wallace knocks him into the wall with 28 laps remaining. That's it for this week in NASCAR history. Tune in next week, and we'll take you on another trip through the history of NASCAR. Ryan Blaney, Weekend Preview. Sonoma Raceway. All right, Steve, the NASCAR Cup Series is making its return to the state of California after a hiatus last year and back out to Sonoma Raceway for the first time since 2019 for the Toyota Save Mart 350 Sunday, June 6th at Sonoma Raceway. You can catch the race at 4 p.m. Eastern time on TV, on FS1, and on radio through PRN and Sirius XM NASCAR radio. Stage breaks in this race come at lap 20, lap 40, and it finishes off at finishes off at lap 90 for the 226.8-mile event. And one thing, Steve, that you pointed out was that compared to the past few years when they would run at Sonoma, it was 110 laps. But you have to remember in 2019, they added the carousel to this course, extending it, so lap count went down from 110 laps to the 90 laps that we are going to have today when this NASCAR Cup Series visits this track we've said it for every road course race so far this season ryan blaney is one of those drivers that you should be watching when it comes to nascar turning left and right he currently has an average finish of 13.6 on the road courses in the cup series and then if you take a look at his overall uh finishes here at sonoma one thing to note ...is that since we only go there once a year, Ryan only has four starts, especially since they, they skipped the race last year. So in 2016, he started 26th and finished 23rd. In 2017, he started 7th and finished 9th. In 18, he started 11th, finished 34th, about six laps down. So there was an issue that happened there. But when the cup series was last at Sonoma in 2019, he started the race ninth and finished third. So a little bit of momentum going on there though. They did take that break from Sonoma last year and Ryan has performed fairly well on road courses this year, though necessarily the finishes aren't speaking for them. Uh, little bit of issues here and there at Coda. A little bit of issues that happened at the Daytona road course, though he was leading the Bush Clash uh, for a period of time until an unfortunate event in the last turn um, for that race. So again, he doesn't have a ton of experience on this course overall, but has become one of the better NASCAR Cup Series drivers when it comes to road course racing. So they changed the
1: track configuration in 19, and it's all new to everybody, and he finishes third. So right away, this must be a little bit of something to his liking. Maybe he's better at um, <laughs> some of the hairpin hairpin turns that they run there. I mean, turn 11 itself, every time you watch it on TV, is crazy because some guys bring it in there hot and then they try to underbrake somebody. Um, there's a like tire barrier type, a couple tire things around there they set up to try and keep people from, you know. And uh, and it's really kind of crazy to watch some of the teams uh, pitting because the, the pit entrance is actually going into turn 11 and they go basically around the outside of turn 11 to pit. Um, the restarts go up that hill to the left and under that bridge before they get to turn two. A lot of the action happens on that backstretch, though, between turns uh, eight, nine, and ten because it's kind of like a back and forth, back and forth type of thing. And uh, some guys end up off track back there too. So I think it's a fun weekend. Um, what's great is uh, um, Bob Pockross done the math and um, Ryan's starting at 11th, so he doesn't have to pass too many cars. Uh, they won't have to do too much strategy. You know, the crazy thing about a road course is that one or two guys that maybe get spun out in front of somebody and then you get past him, and other people don't get past him. Uh, can kind of shake up a race a little bit. And this track is notorious for it on a restart going up that hill Uh, because once they get to turn two, it's just everybody busts loose and and everybody thinks they can get underneath somebody before they get to three and four. You know, it's a lot of fun to watch. I think that, uh, like I said, Ryan's got the skill set, obviously, for tracks like this.
0: Yeah, I mean between Sonoma and Watkins Glen, I think both of those tracks are notorious for contact, and that's kind of where NASCAR wanting to expand and do more road course racing came from, because they almost they people would say, you know, they raced like a short track. And I think I mean for me personally that turn eleven at Sonoma is one of the most iconic turns. Not even just on a road course, but in NASCAR, on the NASCAR Cup Series in general. Just there's so many memorable moments that have happened in there. And there's so many times, like you said, that guys are trying to outbreak some other people, drive in as deep as they can. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes they end up spinning out into that middle uh, area of the turn there over all the sponsor logos and everything. And uh, trying to end up cutting the course at some point there, but lots of memorable moments have happened in that turn and it made Sonoma one of my favorite races to tune into and watch over the years. So let's take a look back at the last several winners here at Sonoma. And you'll see a lot of uh, a lot of one driver that's going to come up here uh, over and over <laughs> and over again. And so let's take it all the way back to him when he won in 2013. That's Martin Truex Jr. In 2014, Carl Edwards went to victory lane. In 15, it was Kyle Busch. In 16, it was Tony Stewart, which I believe was the last uh, cup victory of his career. Memorable moment, memorable lap there between he and Denny Hamlin. And I think in turn 11 was one of those spots there were Uh, Stewart ended up getting past Hamlin and going on to victory. Then we have Kevin Harvick won in 2017. And then again, Martin Truex Jr. In 2018, Martin Truex Jr. In 2019. This is really when people started looking to him as being one of the best drivers on road courses in NASCAR. Obviously since then, it seems like Chase Elliott has taken that crown away from Truex, but he's uh, probably one of those other guys that you really want to take a look at when it comes to road course racing this week in California.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, of course, uh, everybody's going to say uh, Chase Elliott, um, too, because, you know, Chase has become the guy, basically, for road courses. Um, Kyle Busch is, is the is the uh, crazy one, especially since I heard that interview before Coda, where he basically told the guy that all the turns are good turns to make a pass in. So when a guy says something like that, you got to definitely keep an eye on him, because um, he's going to make it interesting for your life, basically, uh, if you're out there trying to race uh, clean. And, uh, you know, a give and take, uh, you know, he's just take. So hopefully it, Ryan doesn't, hopefully Ryan doesn't end up around him this weekend.
0: Yeah. And the a ton of, I mean, we can talk about this in the fantasy segment, but a ton of, uh, momentum behind that 18 team at Joe Gibbs racing for Kyle Busch, which is different. Uh, seems like he's walking, uh, with a little bit of a skip in his step these days. I thought it was funny during the Coca-Cola 600, they interviewed him. Uh, after one of the stage breaks, and they asked how he was going to get past the Hendrick cars, and he said he was going to have to wreck them. <laughs> so, uh, and honestly, uh, he on a road course like this, if he sees victory in his sights, I wouldn't be surprised if he used the chrome horn there to get back, get past the likes of uh, Kyle Larson and Chase Elliott. And I believe Larson sat on the pole possibly the last time they were at Sonoma. He was fast at Coda. Obviously, Larson was fast. Uh, this past weekend, winning the Coca-Cola 600. So, again, lots of momentum behind those Hendrick cars. But Ryan Blaney, again, fast when it comes to road course racing overall. Starting 11th, that puts him in a decent position there. Uh, we'll just have to see how the strategy shakes out through these races. Sometimes they like to, I think they say, racing it backwards. They do a lot with fuel mileage. They do a lot with pitting before a stage end. So that way they have the, the fresher tires and better track position and it seems like every one of these races, somebody comes out with a strategy that ends up being one of the winning calls when it comes to this. But it also could just come down to um, the field versus Chase Elliott. I know we don't want to you know, necessarily say he's a lock every time we get to a road course, but now at this point in his cup career, six of his victories have come on road courses. So there's no denying his talent there. Um, we're just hoping that at this point Ryan can notch possibly his second victory on a nascar road course coming after his victory in the inaugural race on the charlotte roval
1: this is a road course too that um that they raced before this is one that they normally race so there is um 30 some other people that have done it before it's not like we're all going throwing into a new thing and we're all learning something new and we're all first time out here Uh, Sonoma, you know, will have a bunch of people who've been there and done that. Crew chiefs who've been there and done that. Like you said, strategy-wise, they'll definitely uh, know how to race it backwards if they want to do that. so.
0: So once again, Brian Blaney at Sonoma, he has four series starts dating back to 2016, including two top tens and one top five finish. That top five coming in 2019 when they added the carousel, extended the course. Brian Blaney goes out there, starts ninth ninth, and finishes in third position. If you want to catch this race again, you can watch the Toyota Save Mart 350 on Sunday at Sonoma Raceway at 4 p.m. Eastern Time on FS1. You can listen to it on the radio on PRN and SiriusXM NASCAR Radio. Things are heating up, Steve, in the Team Blaney NASCAR Fantasy Live League. Obviously, you had an incredible week last week after uh, all of your picks came through for the race at Coda we've moved on this week to the Coca-Cola 600 at Charlotte motor speedway. And before maybe we go through our individual teams, I'm going to give everybody a look at the top 10. And there's a reason I'm going to go through the top 10 and not just top five uh, points earners at Charlotte motor speedway for the team Blaney NASCAR fantasy Live League this past weekend. In first we had Kyle or Clyde's chicken pit racing with 276 points team Penske in second spider monkey in third, Mez12 in 4th with 267 points. We had Supermod in 5th. We had Rogers T, who happens to be my wife, in 6th with 263 points. In 7th, we had Rogue Tough. In 8th, we had the man that is vaulting up the series standings, possibly, in myself... Adam Rogers with Team Blaney admin in the eighth position with 254 points. In ninth, we had Gitterbug or Glitterbugs with 251. And rounding out the top 10 for the Coca Cola 600 was U.S. Calvin with 249 points earned at Charlotte Motor Speedway this past weekend. So, Steve, why don't you? I'm taking credit
1: because your strategies changed, didn't they?
0: I mean, they changed slightly. What, what helped this weekend, and even at the Coda weekend, when I actually did fairly well there too, was just having practice and having qualifying and having an idea. Also, when I go through my lineup here, and I don't know, I didn't necessarily go through all the heavy hitters, but I did kind of double double down there on uh, Chevrolet and Hendrick Motorsports when it came to a lot of the bonus picks, which I know That's... when you when you really took a huge lead at Coda last week, it was because you hit on all of those bonus picks. so Right, that's
1: that's the part I'm taking credit for. That that part of the strategy is unfortunate when it doesn't work and it, it's not good. But the thing is, is when you've hit it right, that's three different things that you've hit right. You've hit the, the driver winning, you've hit the team winning, and then you've hit the driver being the top of that manufacturer. So, you know, when it does hit, that's three things, boom, 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 you get most maximum points out of,
0: so... So taking a look at my lineup, which did fairly well. So like I said, I had the eighth most points earned uh, for the Coca-Cola 600. I started Austin Dillon. He uh, ended up ranking six with 38 points for me. I started Kyle Larson, who won the race, got me 60 points. Uh, here's one that a guy that probably could have got me a lot more points in this race, except he also had his own issue with a tire going down early in the race, and that was Daniel Suarez. And that's a team that fought the whole race long, and ended up finishing 15th, two laps down. Uh, but he was consistently the fastest of the lap down guys, as he wasn't. Unfortunately, they weren't unable to uh, weren't able to dig themselves out of the hole like Ryan was. But he did only finish two spots behind Ryan in 15th. I also started Chase Elliott, uh, who finished uh, second in the race, got me 53 points, and I started Kyle Busch, who finished third in the race, and got me. Uh, 46 points i had kevin harvick in the garage i just kind of kept him in there Uh, maybe could have swapped him out for suarez at one point but he also had his own issues i picked kyle larson as the race winner so that got me 15 bonus points i had picked chase elliott as the top chevrolet just in case that was probably one of the places where i hedged my bet a little bit that didn't work out i picked ryan blaney as the top ford that didn't quite work out i picked denny hamlin as the top toyota that didn't work out but i did hit on chevrolet as the top manufacturer in hedrick motorsports as the top team. So that's kind of where I think I gained most of my points this past weekend uh in the NASCAR fantasy live league that's really boosted uh my standings. Yeah,
1: three of my top 5 were Chase Elliott, William Byron and Larson. So right away the Hendrick the, that trio of Hendrick cars there basically they were a bulk of my regular points and then the same thing Larson, Larson, you know, Chevrolet Hendrick right there. That's, you know, three or four things right there. And then I did have Ryan and I had Denny as the top for their manufacturer. But uh, Denny wasn't, you know, Denny was the second Toyota. I mean, he really didn't have a bad race, but
0: no, he did not. So good week overall for both of us, I think, in the Fantasy Live League. Let's take a look now at the overall Team Blaney NASCAR Fantasy Live League standings. In first is still Mooncup, holding down the top spot with 3,047 points. In second, we have Mez12 with 3,023 points. In third, Clyde's Chicken Pit Racing with 3,021 points, nipping at your heels. In fourth, we have k 525 with 2,990 points. In fifth, we have Vans12. In sixth, we have the Dalai Lama 4. In seventh, we have Glitterbugs. In eighth, we have Supermod. In ninth, we have Rogue Tough. And rounding out the top 10, we have Blaney's Daisy with 2,812 points for the Team Blaney NASCAR Fantasy Live League. So, Steve, we just talked a little bit about there, uh, about the preview for Sonoma Raceway. Martin Truex Jr. has won back-to-back the last two races there. He also picked up another victory a few races ago. Um, some guys like Kevin Harvick have won there in the past. Kyle Busch has won there in the past. Is there anyone that you kind of see as a lock pick for this week? That someone that you definitely need to be on your roster on your roster, assuming you still have uh, picks available for that driver?
1: Um, you know, I'm using Larson a lot, but you know he'll probably be starting out front. Um, I haven't used really truthfully uh, Chase Elliott as much, so I, I'm I probably pop Chase up in there. I have to kind of look at the qualifying again, uh, look up Bob again, and uh, and see what uh, what the lineup looks like. I mean, some of the guys can come from a, le- a little further back. Ryan could be a good pick, truthfully, from 11th position. It's not that far to the front. He went from ninth to third last year, so or two years ago. I'm sorry. So, yeah, let's uh, you know look at it. Look at a guy like that. You know. And Joey, of course, Joey is elbows up in these situations
0: too. Yeah, I think Ryan's definitely a good pick. Chase Elliott, between Chase and Kyle Larson, if you still have picks available for them, obviously they're good picks when it comes to mile and a half tracks as well. But Larson is running really well on road courses recently. You have to remember going back to Coda, if that race would have played out, to the end of the finish, uh, to the end of its you know uh, allotted amount of laps, Larson probably would have went to victory lane because Chase Elliott was going to have to pit. He was short on fuel. Larson has been there uh, on these road courses of late, and he's the hot hand right now. Uh, so between he and Chase Elliott, I think you have to have at least one of the two, maybe throw the other person in the garage. Ryan Blaney is in a perfect position to score stage points throughout this race assuming they go that route, trying to get the points each stage and maybe not pitting right before stage break. So just kind of see, I think we'll have to see how the race plays out and see the strategy that Todd Gordon's gonna want, going to want to use. Um, because they're sitting pretty well in points overall. Uh, they could use, I mean, several more stage victories at this point because they're trailing Kyle Larson, who has nine at this point in the season. So it just depends. Do they, do they weigh... Um, getting those tires and being off on strategy uh, to hope for a better finish at the end or a, a race victory, or do they play the points game at this point, just trying to keep earn more and more and more points as they go? Yeah, the
1: first um, the first part of the race and the competition caution that'll follow, I think, will tell them. You know, if the lap times are consistently really good, then then they'll race a certain way. But if they're not, you're right, they may play some strategy things just to maybe win a stage you know, stay out for winning a stage or something. You know, I think that first, like I said, the first segment going into that competition caution will be key. All
0: right, Steve, I think that wraps up this episode of the Team Blaney podcast. I want to thank everyone for tuning in. If you would like to learn a little bit more about myself or Steve, go ahead and listen to our first episode that really dives deep in how we both became fans of the Blaney Racing family. If you'd like to interact with us, you can find Team Blaney on Twitter at Team Blaney on Facebook at facebook.com slash Blaney. Don't forget to also download, rate, and subscribe to the Team Blaney Podcast on all of the available and your favorite podcasting apps. And once again, to close out the show, we want to remind you to check out the Ryan Blaney Family Foundation. This organization, established in 2018, supports causes that have closely impacted the Blaney family, including the Alzheimer's Association and UPMC Sports Medicine. You can find out more about the foundation on its website, ryanblaneyfamilyfoundation.org. We're on Twitter at RBFamFoundation. And then finally on Facebook at Facebook.com slash RBFamilyFoundation. So for my co-host Steve Mez, I'm Adam Rogers, and we'll catch you next time on the Team Blaney Podcast.